and this is the Influence Watch podcast. In much of the country, the cops can take your stuff even if they aren't able to convict you of a crime through a process known as civil asset forfeiture. This week's guest, Scott Turner, executive director of the advocacy group Eternal Vigilance Action, tried to fix this when he was serving in the Georgia State Legislature. Today he joins us to discuss asset forfeiture, how he tried to reform it, and obstacles to protecting due process and the Fourth Amendment. Uh, Scott, before we begin, can you tell us a little, uh, our listeners a little bit about yourself? Absolutely. First of all, thank you for having me on. This is a ongoing passion project for me. I recently told another activist um, organization uh, that there are going to be two outcomes to civil asset forfeiture reform in Georgia. One will be that we actually fix it, or the second will be that I die trying. Uh, so... It is an extraordinarily important and issue that I'm extraordinarily passionate about. So thank you for the opportunity to talk about it. I, I was elected to the Georgia House of Representatives in 2013. And for the bulk of my time there, I worked on trying to reform civil asset forfeiture to require a conviction prior to the government taking your stuff. Today in Georgia, there is no requirement for them to even yeah, charge so you with a crime. Uh, let's start with just defining civil asset forfeiture. Because, I mean, everybody ex- thinks that it's like Chapo Guzman, you know, his m- tens of millions of of dollars that he's made selling drugs across the world, uh, you know, obviously presumptively guilty of crimes, subject to prosecution, and the government, you know, sh- he should, that, you know, El Chapo shouldn't be able to have advantage of all that money when he's in jail. Um, But that's not what civil asset forfeiture is about, is it? No. As a matter of fact, the median uh, forfeiture in Georgia, half of all forfeitures are below $600 in their total value, whether it be cash or a gun or a computer, uh, you know, that all half of all of the forfeitures that happen in Georgia target certain populations that genuinely don't do not have the resources to fight or it's such a small amount that the people are willing just to let it go without fighting for it and there are other op- uh, and this isn't this isn't a situation where I mean obviously you know we all have watched law and order at some point in our lives we know the you know if you don't if you have you know if you're arrested you have the right to an attorney and if you can't afford one one will be provided for you uh but in civil asset forfeiture that doesn't happen does it no it doesn't because in a civil case you're not entitled to an attorney so if you are pulled over and the cops searches your car and you have five hundred dollars in cash because you're on your way to make your payment on your car at a buy here, pay here a lot, then the cop says, well, this is suspicious to me, so I'm going to take your money. You have little recourse. And uh, that's the type of scenario that does actually happen in Georgia. And because 
the law is written so that they don't have to charge you with a crime, they have a really low evidentiary standard as well. You know, when you're in a criminal process, you have to be found guilty beyond a reasonable doubt to be convicted. But in the civil case, it's a preponderance of the evidence, which is essentially a fifty percent plus one. Yeah, it's just more just more likely than not. Did you that that what you that you were doing something you weren't supposed to? Yeah, imagine if you were to be convicted of a crime first because the cop thought you were guilty of the crime, and that's essentially what civil asset forfeiture does, if in a simple, simple type of Mm -hmm. way. So. I mean, obviously, we've, you know, we've described some of the procedural problems, but what are the what are the like the abuses of civil asset forfeiture? Because you hear like that the police can they they can take it, they can they can take your money using this low evidentiary procedure, not going through the courts, not going through, or I mean, I guess it's technically through the courts, but not a criminal prosecution. Uh, and then they like the cops get to keep the, the not the individual police officers, but the police department gets to keep the money. Yeah, they absolutely do, and they get to use it for anything that they want to, and that is, it creates a perverse incentive for them to go out. And we've seen abuses in Georgia. Banks County is was famous. Banks County has a a, a stretch of I eighty five running. That's north, that's south the that's the main road from Bank. Atlanta to Charlotte, right? Correct. Yes, and and Banks County Sheriff's Department had a deputy out there running traffic stops for two years. And he was targeting African-Americans. The, in, he made 1,700 stops, four arrests. 85% or 90% of them were African-Americans. Uh, he only got caught because he pulled over a member of the Atlanta Hawks, a, uh, a guy named Mike Scott, uh, Michael Scott, and uh, his brother. And in his police report, he put some things in there that just simply couldn't be true. And Mike Scott being an... NBA basketball player had the resources to fight it. And what they found was like in the police report and he, the Mike Scott would have had to have been traveling 600 miles per hour down that highway for the time that the police officer called it in to the, the mile marker where he pulled him over. So it was that type of stuff where a good attorney would be able to look through and find that, that type of error and then go and yeah, look and then call, and call into, into, call into question deputies. this particular police officer's yeah and then go look for the dirt right go find the extra data that would show that this person was actually targeting certain people now this guy he he raised $200,000 in a very short period of time for that police department that they could spend that money however they wanted the judge ended up throwing out the case and dismissing the charges against Mike Scott and Mike Scott got his stuff back, but all those other people who lost their money, they didn't. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and this is funny because the way that you asked the question, whether, you know, about abuses in Georgia, my own personal sheriff, I live in Cherokee County, Georgia, and the, my current sheriff, my former sheriff, we can talk about in a minute, but my current sheriff would come down every time I introduced a piece of legislation and say, well, this isn't a problem in Cherokee County. I don't know why Scott's bringing this mm-hmm. bill. And it's like, uh, it, just because it's not happening where I am doesn't mean it's not happening in other places. Right, and you know, even if you're representing a a, a district or a county, you're still a legislator. You know, at that that time, you were still a legislator for the whole in the, for the whole state. Right, and and that's the thing that got kind of lost on my my current sheriff. I love that guy, by the way. He's he's a tremendous human being, and I support law enforcement. But he he would come down and he'd say, "We don't have the problem here." 
and, and it wasn't about Cherokee County. It was about places like Banks or mm-hmm. uh, other areas where there had been abuses, especially Macon Bibb, which their stories coming out of Macon Bibb, the former district attorney down there, would uh, basically hire a third-party attorney to prosecute these cases for him and then give that attorney a portion of the proceeds as compensation for – which is wildly unethical and – because that attorney would be incentivized to go and get everything they possibly could, even if it wasn't attached to committing a crime. Right, and, and, and because and, and because have, you know people wouldn't be entitled to defense attorneys, people wouldn't. I mean, my understanding is that civil asset forfeiture cases, the government doesn't technically sue the owner of the stuff; it sues the stuff. That's right. So you see these cases like uh, the state of Georgia versus one thousand three hundred and twenty-two dollars and sixty-seven cents in cash. <laughs> And so the stuff doesn't have a constitutional right, you know, that doesn't have a right to remain silent like a human being was. So they're suing the property and not the property owner. And so what what, what did you try to what, what did your when you were in the legislature, what did you try to do uh, to to either reduce the abuses or to establish some due process? What was the what was the idea? The, the, so the 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 first and most powerful idea was to create a stay on the civil process until after the criminal process was complete and then tie the civil process to the outcome of the criminal. And it was very simple. We changed a uh, shall, uh, I'm sorry, a may to shall, which uh, today under current law in Georgia, the court may issue a stay on the civil process pending the the outcome of the criminal. So to use my, exa- use my example that from to- earlier, assume El Chapo did something illegal under Georgia law and Georgia was prosecuting him. You know, all that money... They would, they they, would, they would seize yeah, the assets and Yeah, they would them. be held, right. but, you know, then there would be the trial, the criminal right. trial, assume he's convicted, right. then the, sa- the, then the they state would go the after civil, the money. The civil process. And at that point, if you get a conviction, it's a slam dunk. Right, right? you've already, you've already proven he was doing crimes beyond a reasonable doubt. Right. So it's an automatic forfeiture for the state. So it, the the way it works today, uh, during a traffic stop, they smell drugs in the car or they have a dog come out and smell cash. And inevitably, the dog alerts on the cash because all cash is tainted with some drugs. And they take the cash. Um, and then that process moves forward. You, in order to protect your – the civil process moves ahead before the criminal – so the civil in the civil process, you do not have the right to remain silent, and your attorney, if you have one, will tell you you're going to remain silent. You're not going to go to your civil process to defend your pro- your property, to it, because you will potentially damage your criminal case because your civil case will, would be admissible in your criminal mm-hmm. case. So people don't even fight it, mm-hmm. right? So that moves to civil to the to the civil process, and they lose the assets. In Georgia, the most egregious line in all of the official code of Georgia annotated. The, the, the body that of, that, that the being the body of state law. The entirety of state law. The most egregious line says that if you are found not guilty of a crime, that does not mean that you get your property back. Wow. And so we tried to change that, mm-hmm. too, saying that a, a, a verdict of not guilty meant that the state had to return your property. And that's all it did. It was a one-page mm-hmm. bill. And uh, that it created a huge amount of pushback and blowback from 
Prosecuting Attorneys Council and the Georgia Sheriff's Association. So let, let's talk again. I guess that's a good segue into the opposition, because you'd think, you'd think, obviously, you know, you described this, you know, this case, um, you know, with the uh, with the deputy who is allegedly targeting people on the basis of race, assumedly, assuming that that would uh, be a problem for liberals and progressives. Uh, for conservatives, it's a viola- You know, it looks like a violation of due process. Looks like a violation of property rights. Um, so you'd think like there would be cross ideological support for reform, but again, obviously, you had a lot of pushback. Uh, and in other places where this has been tried, where reforms have been tried, there's been pushback. Who who is the pushback? So primarily the Georgia Sheriffs Association. They they do not want to see any type of reform requiring a conviction at all. They fight that tooth and nail. And and it wasn't just Democrat. It wasn't just Republicans who were pushing back on me, even though I'm a Republican. I also at one point I went to a Democrat to ask him to sign on to my bill. And he said, well, I don't want to make my sheriff angry. And that was really a kind of a, a, a key moment for me when I realized just how far we would have to go in order to get reform in Georgia. The Sheriff's Association, you got to understand, like, like I represented one part of one mm-hmm. county. I live in a metro mm-hmm. area of Atlanta, and I represented one-fifth of Cherokee County. These rural guys and ladies who serve in the House, they have five or six counties that they mm-hmm. represent. And every county has a sheriff, and in every county, I can guarantee you, the most popular elected official in that county is the sheriff. Hands down, no question, they're the most influential, and they're the most popular. And if you go up against your sheriff, you, about, you have to be prepared to, to have mm-hmm. that very public political battle against the most popular person in your mm-hmm. county. Well, imagine me just having one-fifth of one county. I could stand up to my sheriff and... And, and be fairly insulated. But when you have five of them, if you have six mm-hmm. or seven of them, that for that state representative, it becomes a very easy political calculus to say, I, I just can't. And then what's the incentive for the sheriffs to fight so hard on this? I mean, obviously, they would probably say something like, you know, this is keeping crime down. This is what, you know, we need this to, to go after drug kingpins or whatever. But why, why, why would they fight so tooth and nail? It's a it's some of the sheriffs will can make a legitimate claim that they're using it as a crime fighting tool. Others simply can't, they, you know, and, and just because somebody is using it effectively or properly, you know, like in Gwinnett County, I was told by the, the D.A. in that county that they do not prosecute civil process until after the conviction. Well, that's an exception. Mm-hmm. It's not the rule. Right. And if that's the case, let's just make that state mm-hmm. law. If that's a good policy for Gwinnett County, let's do it everywhere. Uh, so. Uh, they are incentivized because they get to keep the money and they get to spend it however they want. The, the only requirement on them is that they report to – we have what's called the Carl Vinson Institute. It's a part of the University of Georgia. It's a department that is, has been established for good governance and uh, as a clearinghouse and think tank for governance issues. And they have to report to them periodically what they have t- what they've taken – and what they're spending the money on. And that's it. That's their only requirement. And there's no requirement currently for that to be in a uniform manner. So we see reports on that website are a mess. Some of them are unsearchable PDFs. Some of them are spreadsheets with uh, with uh, fields that are not uh, standardized. And it's extraordinarily difficult to actually figure out how much is being taken and how much is being spent and on what. 
uh, we've had stories like uh, from South Georgia where uh, one sheriff decided to take his command staff on a team building exercise and paid for them, his command staff and their families to go to Disney World, as an example. And that was a team building exercise. We've seen incidences where um, in one particular county, Camden County, where they just had a navy of boats, uh, of speedboats. And it was actually called, colloquially, the Camden County Navy. Uh, these, uh, at one point, somebody had a Lamborghini <laughs> <laughs> marked up as a police car. And those are the types of things that allow them, you know, this, this, without this much is like bonus, this public is the, the seized, the seized money, the forfeited money. That's just bonus money on top. Like they don't have to go to the go to the whatever the county I, you know, the county or city governing nope. board to say, hey, we need some of your tax revenue. They just get like money raining from the sky that they can then spend on all sorts yeah. of stuff. And again, uh, hammering this point home, half of the Half of the forfeitures in Georgia are few or less. The value, total value, is less than six hundred bucks. So they're they're building up their own budgets through using this process without ever receiving any type of conviction in court. So, I guess then, sort of looking forward, obviously, you know, there's been some increases in crime, at least in major cities. Uh, you know, has that created a problem? You know, has You've already got the chair, the 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 sheriffs and local officials pushing back because it's a hit to their revenue. You know, ha- has the changes in the crime dynamics made anything made it worse to try to to try to push back against some of the abuses of forfeiture? I, I the defund the police movement has been unhelpful. The the whole creation of this idea that police need to be defunded because Republicans now uh, have to think twice about that as well. They don't want to be seen as joining the defund the police movement. And if you're in a, in a hyper political environment like a state rep would be or a state senator, you don't want to be seen as that guy who's stepping out of line with his party to uh, stand up for the Fourth Amendment mm-hmm. in this case. Because it might be something that would portray, portray you as soft on crime. Mm-hmm. You know, nobody, nobody wants that. And so this, this idea of defund the police that came about a couple of years ago and, and really kind of took hold of the left in our state really was unhelpful. You know, it, 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 it definitely wasn't something. And I'm sure, I'm sure it made it easier for the institute, let's call them the institutional law enforcement community, the Sheriff's Association. Do, do, is there collective bargaining for cops in Georgia? Like, do you guys have police unions? Uh, no. Okay. No. Um, no. We, qualified immunity. Yeah, but not, no, not nothing like collective bargaining. There's no mm-hmm. unions here. Um, so you know, you got, you've got the you know the sheriffs' association, the DAs' association. You know, that probably makes it easier for them to push back because they can say, well, look, you know, you're going to, if you, if you reform this, you're going to take our money away. Isn't that the same as defund the police? Yeah. They're, they're, and they certainly have adopted that as an argument. So, uh, what have other, have, have other states had more success? Have, have other, uh, has there been any, you know, moves at the national level to, to, to fix this? Yeah. There states all over Republican controlled states across the country are seeing success here. Um, Ohio, uh, most notably, they had a freshman senator 
uh, Rob Colley up there get a bill passed in his first session that would require a conviction. Uh, obviously, North Carolina does uh, requires a conviction. They've had some issue. They've had some issues, but good reforms in New Mexico, as an example. Uh, but Georgia certainly wouldn't be the mm-hmm. first. There, there, and there are several other states that that have adopted the conviction requirement as well. All right. Uh, is there anything else on on this issue that you think our our listeners would need to know? Look, it's it's a uh, it's easy to demagogue this issue. You know, uh, when people are opposed to it, you know, they'll say soft on crime. They'll say uh, you're you're taking a, a vital tool away from law enforcement to fight the criminal enterprise. But when you dive down into the details, you figure out what's really happening. It's it's a gross violation of your right to due process and this concept of innocent until proven mm-hmm. guilty with civil asset forfeiture. There is no innocent until proven guilty. And so our reforms and our efforts continue around this idea of reestablishing. Yeah, I mean, I mean that. Yeah, I mean that's and that's guilty. and that's. I think the ultimate takeaway is that you you know all the you know as imperfect as our due process protections are in a criminal case, at least you have some protections in civil asset forfeiture. Most, if not all, of those protections are gone, and you are not meaningfully innocent until proven guilty. Absolutely, that's exactly all right. Well, thank you again to Scott Turner of Eternal Vigilance Action for joining us. That's our show for this week. We encourage our listeners to subscribe on Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, or Spotify. And if you have subscribed, thank you, and please leave us a five star rating. Those ratings really help us find new listeners, especially if they come with a positive review. We'll see you all next week. <laughs>